0: According to a recent survey by I Prescribe, 34% of respondents say they have taken anti-anxiety medications to manage family stress during the holidays. So what topics do Americans most want to avoid during holiday gatherings? Number one, politics came in at 53%, family drama at 36%, and love life or dating status at 32%. This is Pulse Check. I'm Lauren Gardner. The Department of Health and Human Services wants to make it easier for providers to share patients' substance use disorder treatment records. Currently, a stricter regulatory regime protects the privacy of substance use disorder treatment records than that of standard medical records governed by HIPAA. Under the proposal, which HHS released Monday, providers would only need to get a patient's consent one time to share substance use records. Twitter has updated its content moderation policies and said it will no longer stop users from spreading false information about COVID-19 or vaccines. This matters because misinformation and disinformation around the pandemic has proliferated on social media. Twitter has suspended more than 11,000 accounts for such violations since 2020. And Congress returns to Washington this week with only 19 legislative days on its calendar to finish fiscal 2023 appropriations and a defense bill. Healthcare providers are ramping up their lobbying to convince lawmakers to extend telehealth rules. We know that COVID spurred rural healthcare to go virtual, so, Daniel Payne is here to talk about why providers don't want to go back.
1: A lot of people think of telehealth as something that changed for big tech companies or in big urban centers, but the impact is even larger in rural communities because limited resources were able to be stretched further than they were before. You know, there have been doctor shortages and care shortages across all sorts of providers. And suddenly the few doctors and and few nurses that did exist in these areas could use technology to reach more patients and provide more services.
0: Right, so, so what exactly does the federal government need to do to make telehealth more readily accessible as we've seen over the course of the pandemic?
1: So when the pandemic hit, of course, the federal government tried to make telehealth easier by relaxing some of the rules that went along with virtual care.
0: What were those rules like before?
1: There were lots of rules that govern telehealth, but for example, uh, if you went to certain types of doctors or for certain types of care, if you got it through virtual care, you would have to go in person every so often to keep receiving that virtual care. And there were tons of rules about how much telehealth would be reimbursed by the government, what kind of telehealth was allowed and what settings. And so when the pandemic hit, a lot of providers saw that telehealth is a big opportunity, something that, you know, they were sort of forced into, but people started realizing how powerful of a tool it could be, how helpful it could be to stretch existing resources, and how convenient it could be for patients. Patients who, you know, in a lot of these areas were not that interested in calling their doctor on the phone or, or having a video call with them, suddenly realized how convenient, how helpful it would be, particularly if you're an hour drive away from your doctor, two hours away from a specialist, not having to take off a full day of work or half a day of work just to go to these appointments, to be able to just do it from home, really made a big impact across provider groups.
0: We'll be right back. Right now, the flexibilities that have been in place are tied to the public health emergency. So what exactly is being considered in Congress? And as seemingly with anything that goes through Capitol Hill, there's a price tag here. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that and and what effect that's having on this effort?
1: Sure. So there's a bill right now to extend these flexibilities for a couple more years, regardless of the public health emergency And there are some concerns about how much it might cost if more Medicare beneficiaries start getting more care. That might cost the government more in reimbursements. Mm. A few others are concerned about fraud risks that telehealth might make it easier to give lesser services for more payment. So that's another concern. but. In the House, it saw really broad bipartisan support. The vast majority of members voted for it. Even so, the clock is ticking down for this to get done, this Congress, for it to get through Senate. And I think it's important to note that providers are looking to these individual policies. They're interested in making sure that they can keep doing these specific things that these specific policies will allow. But beyond that, they're looking for a broad message from the government, from HHS rules, from Congress, that these gains in telehealth that have been made, sort of this movement forward and big investments are not going to go away, that they're going to actually continue and that they should keep investing in this way going forward.
0: Right. On the Congress angle, you, know, you mentioned that this overwhelmingly passed the House. So where are key senators at in this debate? Is there anyone in particular who's especially hung up over the price tag? Or is this just a question of, end of the year inertia, this is one item on a laundry list of things that lawmakers want to do before they leave town for the holidays.
1: I think this is more of an issue at this moment of end of year inertia and how this gets caught up in all of these priorities that are are coming to a head here at the very end of the year. And whether this gets kicked to a divided Congress next year, or whether it gets passed as this package or standalone bill, right now before 2023 hits.
0: So what what is at stake here if Congress doesn't act in the lame duck? Because as of now, the public health emergency isn't going anywhere, right? But it keeps getting haphazardly extended.
1: I think that this is one important piece and one important story and a larger story about how much telehealth is adopted and how much virtual care can help In these areas that really have had really significant shortages of doctors and where people before the pandemic you know in some sort of counterintuitive way did not have as much access as they did once virtual care was adopted more widely so one doctor put it to me that this is about whether we go forward in time or backward in time if virtual care continues to get supported you know, these tools will keep growing, access could keep growing. And the concerns that go along with those things about fraud, about cost, about patients getting the very best care, whether maybe you need to go in person for some things that might get shifted to virtual care, all those concerns could also grow with this issue over time. But at the end of the day, patient access is at stake, is what a lot of doctors are emphasizing at this point.
0: Well, thank you so much, Danielle, for walking through this debate with us.
1: Thanks, Lauren.
0: And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Annie Reese and Brooke Hayes are our producers. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Vantine, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Lauren Gardner. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.